Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills. I'm joined by Ian Faison, and this is your number one source for accelerated learning. What's up, Ian? You know, it's a great, had a great Memorial Day weekend. We did. Um, and it's uh, either Monday or Tuesday, depending on when you're when you're listening to this. And uh, we hope you all had a great weekend, both in the U.S. and abroad, because we have international listeners. And just to say thank you as a little gift to all of our listeners out there, we have a special two-part episode for you today. And this episode and the next one are both based on an article I wrote that kind of took off. It did really well. And it was called The Seven Dangerous Signs That You're Onto Something Big. And after writing the article, I got a bunch more ideas about things I wished I should have included that I should have like really, really should have got those in there. That's my fault. But these are crucial concepts and we wanted to bring them to you in a new expanded light. So today we're talking about paranoia. Yes. Um, This is something that's interesting both for folks that are out there that are creatives or non-creatives or whatever. In in the business world, not in the business world, I think paranoia tends to creep in in all of us. And we wanted to kind of look at the idea of paranoia versus awareness and and what kind of this uh, dichotomy holds. So, And why why we're doing this is really interesting. So we mentioned that it's important to find signs that you're onto something big. Uh, In life, it's helpful if we can identify guideposts that we're either doing the right thing, that we're making a mistake, or that there is a lot of opportunity behind certain ideas. And in order to make the best decisions and become better decision makers, we basically have to learn to walk a fine line between paranoia and awareness. And if you think of this as a mental spectrum And if you analyze your choices from this spectrum and kind of optimize for, you know, how do you get the balance between being paranoid and being aware, right? Uh, Really interesting things can happen. So this episode, we're going to talk about three of the dangerous signs that you're onto something big. And then next episode on the Mission Daily, we're going to do the the next four dangerous signs you're onto something big. So Chad, what are we talking about with like onto something big? What do you mean? Do you mean like on like getting on, on an elephant? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Same. Yes, ex- exactly. Um, large wildlife and uh, zoo animals for sure. Um, no, this is about identifying your best ideas. So the things that really speak to you, maybe some of these, these ideas are so big that they uh, make you scared when you think about whether you know, you're going to like, how are you going to pull them off? How are you going to take the first step? Maybe they're that intimidating. Uh, maybe you have specific ideas of how you could help a loved one that is struggling with a disease, how you could help help them get better. Um, maybe you have ideas for a business or anything like that. Basically anything that can serve you or serve you and humanity uh, without causing any negative unintended consequences. That's the type of stuff we're talking about. And obviously you've dealt with this both as a writer and as a, as a CEO. So it's something personal kind of for us that we're talking about, but there's also tons of um, examples in throughout history and through other uh people that have kind of shared this sentiment, but we kind of wanted to put it into one uh, easy, digestible two-part podcast. And I didn't want to do this, but I'm going to end up telling some personal stories here uh, to give examples for each of these. Um, Didn't want to do it, but kind of have to do this because these are all things that I have experienced um, more than once to the point where you have to check with outside sources to confirm that, like, is this really happening? Um, And then once you do, you can see that it happens basically like clockwork, anytime you begin to pursue something new that's valuable um, and that's really exciting. 
Okay, any more table setting that we need to before we get into the actual list? Uh, quick story. So this illustrates why it's important to consider this topic in a different light. So in a previous episode, we talked about virtual reality, right? Yeah. It's important to question the nature of your reality and figure out what type of world are we actually living in? And my favorite story that helps illustrate this concept, if I remember correctly, was from this writer's panel where there's a moderator who's interviewing, I think, four science fiction writers. And one of them is my favorite, Michael Crichton. And the moderator is going around asking these writers uh, basically to sing the praises of science fiction. And he's asking people, teeing up a softball, where he's, he's asking basically like, why do you think science fiction like 1984 is so successful in preventing the type of future it describes. Do so, you, do you think I tee you up for softballs, or do you think <laughs> I ask the hard hitting questions? <laughs> there, I feel like I get in there. Uh, there, it's like it's fast pitch, but it's yeah, that's right. great. I love it. <laughs> okay, so 1984. Yeah, so the moderator is asking everybody, including Crichton, uh, how does science fiction help us prevent horrible futures like 1984? So if you're not familiar with 1984, it's a famous book by George Orwell. He wrote it in 1948 and why he wrote it and what he was actually describing um, was the future. He was actually privy to a lot of the government's plans for um, the future state at that point. And he was uh, horrified by what he what he saw. So he extrapolated out the current decisions and the things that they were doing and basically showed that if this continues, it's not going to work out well. So Orwell when he wrote 1984, he plans that the government was exploring in how to manage, control, and uh, build a future world. Wait, and how was he? I, I he was, just, he was a member of the Fabian Socialist Society. Uh, and he was, yeah, uh, him and Adolf Huxley, they were very involved in politics. They were both members of the uh, Socialist Party in Britain. And they both wrote their dystopias after, yeah, as I mentioned, being privy to a lot of the plans oh, by crazy. those people. And both of them became... Uh, horrified of what was going to happen. So and so he wrote that in 1948. <laughs> he did. Oh, yeah. All right. Anyways, I, I believe that's uh, pr- pretty close. So, anyways, the moderator asks everybody this question, and everybody's like, "Oh, yeah, such a good question," and all that. Uh, and then he gets to Crichton, and he puts the question to him, uh, and Crichton just like takes a moment, he pauses, and he says, "No, like 1984 didn't stop anything. Uh, I actually think 1984 came to pass." So he says Orwell was writing about a totalitarian state. And that part isn't the case. But what Orwell was saying is that you don't want to get to a place in the future or in the present where you're living in a society that rigorously limits your available choices, your behavior, um, and that watches you to ensure that you conform to this very narrow set of available choices. So what's so fascinating, though, that Crichton pointed out is that it's not Big Brother. We're doing it to ourselves with smartphones, with cameras everywhere. We are basically consenting to monitoring each other. So that kind of sets the stage that maybe some type of paranoia is actually pretty warranted in our modern world. Maybe some type of paranoia can serve us before it turns into being self-destructive. So how do we explore our own paranoias and then find awareness? So how do we construct that type of mental model? And also, I don't know if this was on purpose, but seven signs that you're onto something big. Michael Crichton himself was pretty big because it was near like six foot nine. Six foot nine. Yeah. 
guess well, I'm, on, I'm on it today. Um, so Andy Grove said, only the paranoid survive. Yeah, that was another big inspiration for this piece. So Andy Grove is a famous uh, tech leader. He helped build Intel, uh, famous Silicon Valley luminary. Who, Ooh, and we may or may not be dis, um, <laughs> we may not be uh, telling a story about him on the story podcast, um, possibly. Yes. Spoiler alert. He's coming up. <laughs> yeah. But so Andy Grove's story is really cool. He, he gets to the U.S., excuse me, he gets to the U.S., he doesn't know anybody, he doesn't speak the language, and he has a hearing impediment. So he has a really hard time hearing. There's, It's not like learning a new language is easy, but just imagine not being able to hear. So anyways, he gets to work, he builds this company, and he realizes over time that paranoia is serving him really well. It's helping him avoid bad decisions. It's helping him avoid bad people. Uh, in a sense, it's guiding him. So one of his books is called Only the Paranoid Survive. Uh, and it's basically an ode to paranoid thinking. And when we, f- we hear that, uh, our society definitely is very opposed to anyone who says, I'm worried because everyone is watching me. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the, the biggest red flag. If you try to talk about or explore the idea that groups of people that you're surrounded by, that you know, your acquaintances are going to band together to try and stop you or dissuade you from doing certain ideas. So I would, I would challenge that pop culture, um, a lot of like online wisdom and new business books and pop psychology, they would all be very, very uncomfortable in even considering a topic like this. Um, and then I would, I would posit to them that uh, if you're doing anything interesting, you're going to get more and more people that are watching you and scrutinizing your every move. So let's get onto the list. Let's do it. Number one, dangerous sign. They aren't something big. You won't have the ideas. The ideas will have you. Yeah. And this point is inspired by Carl Jung, who's one of his most famous lines is where he describes his passions uh, and why he's doing what he's doing. He just says, I did not have the certainty. The certainty had me. So this is the idea that there are ideas and pulls and inspirations that you're not going to be able to define. You're not going to be able to fully articulate why you're so impassioned by them or moved or inspired, and you shouldn't try to. You don't have to justify to everyone else why you're doing what you're doing. And obviously, you want to take their their criticisms, their critiques. Uh, you want to be aware of them, but you want to be very paranoid about the fact that you know a lot of people ask for justification behind why you're doing something. And this is something that just let it go. So don't, what does this feel work. like though? So this feels like um, compulsion. So when you're driven to writing or exploring something or you, when you kind of have that like irresistible pull and you just find yourself um, coming back to the same topic again and again and again or the same uh, books or maybe you're re- revisiting something. Um, anytime where you're doing something and you're not quite sure why, but it just feels very cathartic or um, relaxing when you're doing it after a while. Um, These are all really good signs that you're finding something or you're doing something that really speaks to you. One of the, one of the analogies that you've used in the past is the, is like you're the captain of a fishing boat and you like feel the boat rock and you know that there's something big in the nets. Like you like fish on, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that there's something big, but you're kind of afraid to see like what it is um, or to have to go through the work to actually pull it up or like what might happen if, um, yeah, when you know, you're out, if you're asking for ideas or if you're aspiring to be creative, 
the uh, thing that we should all be terrified of is that each of us have an imagination that is, that is largely unexplored. And I say that meaning that <laughs> the quality and scope of the ideas that you can come up with, um, I think at the end of the day, it's so large and so unknown that we should all be terrified. <laughs> well, and the, the, we should like, be terrified of ourselves. <laughs> have you seen um, Have you seen Jaws when like Jaws grabs the buoy or whatever it is? Yeah, and then so they like keep uh, they keep shooting him uh, Jaws with the. Not that we advocate shooting sharks here <laughs> on the Mission Daily, but uh, no. Big shout out to Peta. We support your work. And, um, <laughs> shout out, to, shout out to Shark Week as well. Shout out to uh, Shark Week, but. Yeah. Uh, but so they keep. Not um, really. I don't, I don't support Peta. I was just kidding. But <laughs> I, I do, do have support a, Shark Week. I do have a bucket of paint that I'm red paint that I'm ready to throw on anybody that dares wear a mink. So <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> um, but so they keep uh, shooting him with the the barrels. And like each one keeps like going under, oh, and then yeah. the next one goes under. Yeah. And he's like, they're like, how is he pulling this? Like all of these under. But I think that that's kind of the idea of if you're onto something big and you're like, like holy crap, this is. Um, this this might be this might be a pretty big deal, which leads us to number two, which is people will admire you, but they will show it through imitation. Yeah. So when you do start to aspire to big things, or when you are starting to take your own ideas serious to the point where you either explore them or where you let yourself um, do more research into them, or take more action, or read more books and kind of like follow that interest you're going to find that people don't like it, if, especially when you start talking about it. And if there's any amount of passion in your voice or any type of uncertainty or excitement, this is typically very off-putting. Um, one of my other favorite quotes is that uh, thinkers are not a welcome addition to any social setting, yeah. <laughs> social situation. And when you start describing what you're pursuing and why, you're going to find that people will imitate, but also just try to outright take whatever they can. And a lot of this, it's so easy to think that it's a malicious thing. Um, and I mean, take in a, in a very like uh, sense of just like blindless imitation. So we, we talked about that term earlier. Um, blindless imitation without thought is called echopraxia. And you'll find that as you're describing what you're doing, um, for, in- for instance, like let's get into the personal stories with, in, you know, in the early days and as we're both doing what we're doing here, building the mission, there have been many situations where somebody asks me about what we're up to, what we're doing, and their response is immediately, um, "I'm oh, that's great. I'm I'm doing the same thing." Or, "Well, I've been thinking about doing that too." Yeah, and it's it's great. Like I, I love talking to everybody. I love helping people out. Um, but this trend just appears again and again and again, and it's not always in the friendliest uh, of ways. Yeah, and especially like <laughs> we're pretty big collaborators really as big as you could get with just wanting to support people um doing whatever they're doing but sure it, there's definitely a part where um, we just asked to take oh, it's to just kind of taking right it's just like they're can a drifter you, can as, you give uh, me <laughs> yes can you give me uh a b and c and then they come back after you you know explore with giving them a and b and yeah, who was it who said drifters what was that? Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill, that's right. Yeah, drifters versus non-drifters. That's um, a real struggle. And then Adam Grant has a great book called Give and Take, where there's givers, there's takers, and uh, we all know the takers. Um, but when you're onto something big, you're going to find that the takers are drawn to it and they're going to want to imitate. So counterpoint. Yes. Imitation is the finest form of flattery. Or maybe it's not even a counterpoint, right? 
but maybe is that is that like more i mean i think it's a useful quote and it's useful but not true so i would say that it's not true because uh imitation isn't really flattering it's it's a nice thing to think that it, you know what it is it's a nice way to like um make peace with the fact that people are trying to either um take your work you know just blindly but, imitate it or copy I, it i think there's um, yeah. there's a big difference between like hey i've been wearing whatever like red nikes and you know the cool kid at school starts wearing red nikes sure because i was like okay who gives a shit stuff yeah and it's like just like we talked about the balance between paranoia and awareness like you want to find the right balance you know oscillating between the two this is a challenge to find the right balance of um are you blindly imitating or are you recognizing that you're imitating and then adding something new to it so picasso's quotes about like the greatest artists uh steal type thing um maybe but the greatest artists like add something new to it but that's like the whole um you know, we can only see this far because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, yeah, no kidding. Like, of course, yep. you're not stealing. You're like, you're seeing what people have done before you and like you're adding, you know, whatever it is on top of that. Um, also, back to the Andy Grove book. So this is a great book. Yes. And um, all of his books. So he has a couple, uh, one autobiography, I think, and then maybe another biography, but they're excellent reads. So um, and they're also excellent listens. They are. So. Andy Grove's books, if you're going to get them anywhere, check them out on Audible. And when you do, you'll be supporting The Mission Daily. Audible.com slash The Mission. They are our exclusive sponsor of The Mission Daily podcast. And you can text The Mission to 500-500. And when you do, you can get a free 30-day trial uh, and any audiobook you want for free. So whether you want to subscribe to Audible and try their daily deals, which means you can get an audiobook at I think like an 80 or 90% discount each day. Pretty awesome. Highly recommended. Um, or if you just want to use their clips feature, uh, that Audible app is always evolving. They're always doing cool new things with it. And we highly recommend it. And you'll definitely find some, uh, you'll be onto something big if you start listening at 2x speed like Chad or 3x. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks thanks to Audible. Um, and here's the, the final thing I, I want to say on imitation is it's a really tricky subject, but it's a great guidepost for determining when you're doing something interesting. And this is a quote from Rene Girard, and I'm just going to read it. I can't paraphrase this one. This is yet too deep, but it's uh, valuable. Passive submissive imitation does exist, but hatred of conformity and extreme individualism is no less imitative. Today, they constitute a negative conformism that is more formidable than the positive version. More and more, it seems to me, modern individualism assumes the form of a desperate denial of the fact that through mimetic desire, each of us seeks to impose his will upon his fellow man, whom he pro- professes to love, but more often despises. And that's from Rene Girard, a uh, really influential philosopher um, that I really respect. And in his quote, he's saying that avoid imitation, but be aware that uh, you know extreme individualism is just another form of imitation. Awesome. Okay. So number three, the third dangerous sign that you're onto something big, society will push you towards isolation and loneliness. Yep. If you want to do big things, you're going to be isolated by your peer group. Uh, There's going to be a certain extent of uh, questions about what you're doing, because if you do something that's different, that's a little bit new or a little bit out of the norm, it is uh, uncomfortable. It makes people think a little bit more and 
let's be honest, we're all busy. It requires a lot of extra mental energies to think about brand new things or things that we weren't expecting. It requires a lot of cognitive energy to process brand new things and ideas. But I mean, this is just, it's, I mean, it's a little common sense, but it's like, if it's the status quo, yeah, it's like, you know, you can, you can just go check out like whatever's trending on Twitter, wherever it is. Like if it's the status quo, uh, you're not exactly pushing barriers. And like, uh, Elon Musk had a controversial, controversial tweet last week, um, which we don't need to get into now, but the idea is like, he said something pretty controversial and to some people, um, and got, he, he bared the brunt of saying that, um, with a ton of people that, kind of disagreed with him. And that's the idea is like he put something out there in the world that's like a pretty big idea. And um, this person who's doing a lot of really innovative stuff gets crushed for like having an idea. Yes. An idea and just putting it out slight, there. A slight variation. Like, <laughs> of, and it's not even what crazy, people right? might might like or not, might not like. I, yeah, I think that's really interesting, uh, especially when you consider the fact that um, what people say publicly often represents a uh, a tenth of what they really feel, but don't feel that it's safe to say. So you just view that as a you know a small variation, a small step towards real creativity or a really uh, unwatered, like pure version of his thinking, and that's the type of response he gets. But I think that when we talk about society pushes you towards isolation, it doesn't mean isolation, like living in the wilderness. It means it could be like isolation in your mind. It could be like any type of, uh, like loneliness where you can't find people to talk about this. Now with the internet, I mean, there's tons and tons of like yeah. ways to find people that are more similar, similarly minded. And but- the isolation and loneliness are going to be most prevalent in that feeling of not being able to connect or not being able to be understood. Like that's, it's definitely like a deep seated, uh, human feeling that nobody gets me, nobody understands me. Um, and it doesn't get better <laughs> if you try to do new things. So. Yeah. I mean, so, and just think about the idea of if you have a secret of some kind that you have no one to share it with, like imagine if that secret is like the thing that you wake up every single day and you just want to tell people and you can't, you're going to, you're going to feel some level of yeah. uh, isolation from the Completely. And so easy to think of secrets as like a big glamorous thing or, you know, a new company that Elon Musk is starting or something like that. Like, no, the secrets that are meaningful to you might be the insider knowledge you have that there is a new bakery opening up in two months where you live on the street corner. And you know for a fact that the husband and wife team that are going to launch this bakery are geniuses. You know that they're going to hit it out of the park. Maybe they've done some uh, cool things with like pre-sales and stuff like that. So that is a secret that you can capitalize on. You can go down and ask them if they need uh, investment or if you can help out, expand the business, whatever the case is. Um, but you get the idea. So, And then um, we're going to save the next four dangerous sides you're on to something big for the next episode. Um, yeah. But any other like kind of final thoughts on these three? Uh, yeah, let's just recap them really briefly. So, and, and I guess try to lay out the exact... Um, signposts and maybe give some more examples of what people will uh encounter um so should we do more personal stories we could say i think so let's save them for next next step next okay. one yeah these uh because we have good. some good we have some good ones let's save it for next time deep fast but the bottom line is uh our world is a, a finicky place and in a lot of ways there are plenty of people who will watch you for any type of deviation and that's just uh, a reality of our modern world we don't live in a totalitarian state, but there's a good chance that we have, uh, we're have we creating it ourselves with all of our choices. 
Um, when you have the ideas, remember what Young said, uh, it's okay if the ideas have you, if certain ones are really pulling you, obviously examine what they are. Um, but if you're not able to fully explain why you're doing what you're doing, don't let that get you down. Keep going. Uh, number two, people are going to admire you. And if they try to copy, steal, imitate, um, you're going to have to figure out what to tell yourself. Is it flattery? Is it, uh, is it outright stealing? Um, but that's something that you're going to encounter just again and again. But it's a sign that you're on the right track. Absolutely. And then number three, uh, isolation and loneliness are going to be a part of the journey. But isolation and loneliness offer a really powerful opportunity to be by yourself and be alone with your thoughts. And in that alienation, you can typically um, have the distance to examine yourself and your ideas and understand, okay, am I gravitating towards paranoia or am I gravitating towards like prudent awareness and risk mitigation? So sweet. Awesome. This was, this is pretty cool. I'm looking forward to part two. Yeah. Coming up. Thanks for listening. See, See everybody tomorrow. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.